Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, welcome along. It's a brand new episode of Writer's Routine. This week, we're chatting to the author of what many people are already calling one of the books of the year. Abigail Dean has just published her debut, Girl A. If you're across books online, I reckon you'll have heard of it. Uh, Today, she tells us how she planned her day to get it down. Also, how she brings a completely new method of taking her work with her, something that we have never heard before. You can find out what she does to help her pick the story up the next day and what she needs before she starts work. I like to have a very very vague plan. Um, And the way that I do that, uh, to to be really kind of specific, is... In a document form, I will just set out maybe two or three pages of what um, I think will happen, Um, almost in kind of bullet point, uh, very unromantic form. And then I essentially populate that plan um, with the novel. More with Abigail Dean in this week's Writer's Routine. Yes. Welcome along, it's Writer's Routine, the show where we take a look inside an author's day. My name's Dan Simpson. Uh, thank you for finding us. Thank you for coming back. Thank you for downloading, streaming. Thank you for telling your friends. Exciting news. Uh, this month, we are supported by the fantastic people over at Faber Academy who are giving you money off of their courses. You might have heard about Faber Academy before. Uh, successful published authors who have been on this show uh, have used its fantastic resources and, and been there themselves. Faber Academy is a creative writing school set up as part of the uh, the publishing house Faber. Now, it's been going just over 12 years and many of its alumni have secured major publishing deals on the back of their work from graduating. Uh, SJ Watson, Alice Feeney, Gail Honeyman, to name just a few. There are loads more authors uh, who have used Faber Academy. Uh, They cover so much to improve you as a writer, to make you better. Uh, They run fiction, memoir, poetry courses for all levels and across different times as well to suit you. Like if you're just getting started... And maybe you're finding little moments to write at night after the day job and regular life and you can't spare much time. Uh, Faber Academy has got something for you. You can sign up for the One Day Beginners Workshop. If you're a little bit further down the line, they've got six month advanced courses as well. And there's everything in between. Now, at the moment, all of the courses are online. When it's safe to do so, though, they'll offer in-person classes uh, at their London Faber offices. Now, they want to treat you like a proper Faber published author and to help you get there with support 
an encouraging environment for writers, all taught by experienced tutors and visiting industry experts as well. Now, if you're a little bit further along and you've got to grips with the basics and you've got your first draft done, but you might think it needs a little bit of tweaking here and there, or you want a supportive professional eye to comb through it, uh, Faber Academy also runs a fantastic manuscript assessment service. Uh, professional industry readers giving editorial feedback on your work. They, it might be quite nice and simple. They might just nudge you in the right direction. They might give you a full-on review of the thing or some tips on just tightening it up before you send it off to agents. So when it lands uh, on a publisher's desk, uh, kind of half their job has already been done. Now, you right now, listening to this show, you can save money on any online Faber Academy course or manuscript assessment. Use the code WRITERSROUTINE21, all in caps, at the checkout uh, to get a 10% discount over at faberacademy.co.uk. And you've got a little while to make the most of this. It runs all the way through till September. So you've got some time just to think it over. Look through what they do at faberacademy.co.uk and then when you're ready for a little bit of help from industry professionals at an actual publishing house, use the code uh, and save yourself money. WritersRoutine21 at the checkout, use that code, get a 10% discount on all online Faber Academy courses and manuscript assessments over at faberacademy.co.uk. Now this week we're chatting to Abigail Dean. Her debut novel is Girl A and is absolutely rocking the book world at the moment. It's it's one of the biggest debuts in a while. (laughs) You know when you've heard so much about a book before it's even out? That is Girl A. It's an instant Sunday Times bestseller. It's all about Lex brought up in a house of horrors, trying to fix things and turn it into a house of good with her sister Evie. Now we talk about how Abigail balances a full-time job uh, with writing a debut. Also how she thought through the idea and figured out her plan. And I'm really interested to find out Uh, How does it feel having the dreams of the most incredibly successful debut ever and like when that actually starts to come through? (laughs) What's that like? Had to ask Abigail that question. So that's on the way. We also go deep on her writer's routine as well, because that's the point of the show. And we get into it, as we always do, with what Abigail Dean sees around her in the place where she sits down to write. So this has changed um, quite a lot recently um, because I, I've recently moved house, um, but but my my desk has stayed the same. So so I can sort of start um, start with that. Um, I have a kind of big um, sort of old um, wooden uh, desk, and it is usually crowded uh, with books as well um but and that's but not my own books I should make very clear um it's um I usually have to hand a a sort of stack of um of novels that are often kind of poetry as well that relate to what I'm writing um at, at that current time um that I turn to um, if I'm struggling with writing. Uh, so, so I have a sort of stack of, of novels and I also have a small um, model of Manchester um, that is my hometown. Um, and I have a few, a few plants that are um, struggling over the winter, <laughs> over the winter, I think is what I, is what I would say. <laughs> so, so that's on your desk. What about uh, like a laptop or a big computer? What are you writing on there? Um, I write on a laptop. 
Um, yeah, and it's um, it, it's the same laptop I've had for a number of years now, um, and has fortunately hasn't yet given up the ghost. Um, but I, I tend to write on Google Docs um, with my stuff saved in the cloud because I'm an incredibly paranoid um, laptop user. Um, I've been burnt in the past <laughs> before, as I'm sure many writers have been. Um, so, so that's kind of that, that, that that's the those are the tools that I use for for writing. I tell you what, I've I've done chat to like 150 authors doing this now and no one has ever written straight into the cloud as in they, they write it and save it but no one's ever written straight to google drive well it, it's this awful thing as well because i think because i work for google um you know people are like are you just promoting google docs and i'm like no i genuinely do i genuinely do work right on google docs um so yeah i, I promise that is the case <laughs> well i'm glad i'm glad that you mentioned that because i was just about to say you know, aren't you wary of the people at Google kind of snooping in what you're writing and stealing everything? But I mean, you are the people at Google. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So for your concerns. <laughs> yeah. uh, so listen, so that's your desk. That's what you're writing on. Take me around the room. Is there much inspiration there? Is there artwork? Is there, is there something that kind of keeps you going? Um, so, so at present, there is very little artwork, um, and that's a result of um, of, of, re- of the recent move. Um, I'm sort of gathering a few um, a few pictures, you know, that, that are being delivered and that will at some point um, be framed. And often, I kind of the art I like is really sort of. Um, strange surreal art so kind of um I've got a Dali picture um that is coming um I have a very eerie clock um that has a snake on it um that's the first thing that I bought for my um for my office um so I think the the general vibe that I'm going for is um you know, scare, scare children. <laughs> I mean, I do, you know, they're not going to want to come, just come in here. Um, and I, I mean, I guess what I would say is in my old office, um, that that was also um, our kind of second bedroom and spare room. So I tended there to be surrounded by um, a clothes maiden and um, my husband's work items and um, a, a kind of spare bed um, and usually a cat um, demanding some attention, uh, so so so, so it, it's quite novel to have a bit more space. Um, well, this is interesting about the the new office, the new room, because you've just moved. Now, I don't want to count chickens before they've hatched, and maybe this is not something that you are keen to do. Maybe you want to carry on, you, you know, working and spending your time. But with the immense success of Gurley, there might be a time in the future where you are simply a full time writer. And you've got the opportunity now to kit out your office for just that creative endeavor in mind. What else do you kind of want around you that that that, that will help you tap into those words? I think that um, I think that definitely pictures and books are the the two things that I really like to have um, to have to hand. So I do also have a bookshelf um, in here. That, um, that is kind of the bookshelf that I go to to, 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 um, to feed into the, the pile of books um, on my desk. Uh, and I'm also a bit of a sucker for really um, nice lighting as well, um, for, for mood lighting, essentially. Um, so I, I have kind of um, a, a kind of really beautiful um, sort of brass desk lamp 
um, and a corner lamp has just arrived, so I can uh, I can kind of work at dimming um, dimming the room, uh, you know, depending on the scene, <laughs> perhaps. Um, if I were to walk into your um, to your writing space, Abigail, would I have any clue as to the story that you're telling that day? Would I see post-it notes? Uh, any, any any research materials anywhere? Um, no, I think that the only clues would potentially be um, in the nature of the books on my desk. Um, I, I try to sort of, if I'm writing a particular um, a particular scene, um, you know, even a particular kind of conversation, I often um, will read parts of books that have that have a sort of similar sense to it. Um, and I'm not entirely sure what I know, I know what I mean by that. Um, I guess it's a case that if you're writing an incredibly sort of tense um, action scene, uh, you know, that there are there will be certain books and certain scenes that I've read that have made me incredibly on edge. Um, you know, that, that that feeling that I had to read. You know, I want I wanted to skip ahead two pages to make sure the characters were okay. Um, so I, th- those are the scenes that I'll kind of go back to and, and look at and, uh, and kind of, in a way, I guess, um, study to see how a particular writer, you know, elicited that emotion. Um, so I think those would be the small clues, perhaps, um, in the pile of books on my desk. With that, um, it must have been a little while ago now when you were initially writing Gurley, so you might not be able to remember. But can you recall any of the authors that were you know, touchstones there that when you when you did need a little bit of help and inspiration with with the tense words, people that you called on? Yes. Yeah. I, I, there, there are a few that I definitely kind of remember going back to um, time and again. Uh, so one was uh, The Road by Cormac McCarthy. Um, and I think that the things that I was kind of focusing on then in, in rereading parts of that novel were really the combination of it, you know, it's incredibly bleak landscape that the characters, um, you know, the, the, the father and son travel through uh, in the road. It's, it's very kind of apocalyptic, um, it's sort of cold, damp, unpleasant um, atmosphere. But the thing that I remember about the book is, is just how beautiful the relationship is between those main characters. Um, and that's something I, I was thinking about a lot for Girl A. Um, you know, the the sort of the tender moments and the sort of um, very normal day to day sibling dialogue that that appears, even though the Gracie children are in a really difficult, um, awful um, circumstance. So, so that was definitely a book that I looked to a lot. Um, and another, another writer whose books I just kind of gather around me just in, in general, um, is, uh, Kazuo Ishiguro. And, uh, you know, his narrators are kind of incredibly, um, often incredibly reserved and they say, you know, a great deal, um, in what they emit, um, and in their sort of tangents. Um, and that was something that in developing Lex's character, I was thinking a lot. You know, she's in a way a very reserved narrator, um, but in another way, a narrator who feels things very deeply. Um, so see, I was sort of surrounded by, um, by Ishigeru's work as well. So I am an awful early morning um, 
an early morning person. So, you know, I'm sure that there'll be have been some writers on the, on this uh, podcast who have said, you know, I'm up at 6am and I'm writing. So I am, I, um, I actually am a relatively early riser, but I am not an early writer. Uh, so I, I usually um, go for a run. I'm, I'm quite a big runner um, in the, in the mornings. Um, and have an incredibly leisurely uh, breakfast um, and start writing at maybe kind of 10 or 11 a.m. And I will try to do a kind of a few hours in in the morning. Um, But my sort of favorite um, period of time to write is likely to be kind of 4 or 5 p.m. into the evening, um, you know, into sort of like eight or nine um I, I something about that time it, it, it coincides actually with with the exact pattern that I'm most productive at, um at work day to day as well um which is is not a particularly sociable time to, to to want to write um but but I just yeah I've always kind of enjoyed that time of day um and yeah in the last sort of hour of writing I might go and um get um a glass of wine or gin and tonic and sort of wrap up the day um before dinner um but yeah that, that's probably how a, how a good day would look so when you start your work when you start your writing later on in the day um how do you know what the plan is for that day how do you know what what's what you're writing next i write in a relatively linear um fashion so i i guess i kind of know by what was um, what was last written at the end of the day before. Um, I th- th- There are some exceptions to that um, if I'm really stuck with a particular scene. Um, but for the most part, I try to pick up um, where I where I left off. Um, yeah, I think that it can be slightly torturous. Um, you know, kind of, I, I think what, one way to sort of combat that is that I do try not to leave... Um, not to leave writing or characters sort of in a muddle. Um, I, I try to have something kind of to look forward to writing at the beginning of um, of the next day, rather than dreading, rather than dreading returning to the desk, which I think is sort of a, becomes a curse in, its, in itself. What 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 kind of things are you looking forward to? I, I can't remember who it was. It might have been someone like Philip Pullman. I once read that he he would just write the first line of the next chapter to get himself going the next day. What type of things are you working on to make yourself look forward to coming back to it? I, I think that it, for me, it's a matter of, um, of certainty and direction um, and knowing where the next scene is going. Um, I, the, the, the writing that I most struggle with, and I think this is a kind of common with pretty much every job on the planet, is if you don't know kind of what you're doing next, you're much more reluctant to, to, to return to it. You know, if something is a kind of real problem, that to me kind of is, is what I'm, I, I'd be worried about writing, you know, that I, I need a lot of sort of sitting and staring into space time. Um, whereas I think if, if a scene kind of already has some structure and it, it has some direction and, you know, you're maybe midway through it, um, then that, I think that's when there's real pleasure um, in writing. Um, you know, when you have the kind of plot and the sort of arc of the scene um, worked out in your head, 
And then you're just kind of refining the details and refining the dialogue and, and sort of pondering how that the plot is going to affect uh, each of the characters. I think that's where, you know, you can find a genuine sort of joy and, and get into that state of kind of, you know, and, and I think this, never, this very rarely happens, but where it feels slightly like the characters are writing themselves. Um, I think, yeah, that, that for me, it's, um, it's having clarity around um, what will happen next and just enjoying the actual writing of it. What is a good day for you writing? What what are you happy? Is it like a word? Is there a word count, for instance? What are you happy with going to bed, having worked on that day? Um, so, if I'm just kind of um, trying to to do a good stretch of writing, um, I'd say a thousand words for me is um, is a really good day. Uh, which I think in I am I'm not entirely sure. I think that's relatively low um, in terms of what some writers um, manage to sort of get down in a day. Um, but, but for me, I, I'm pretty happy with that. I, I think that the strange thing slightly is, um, just as an example, yesterday, I did absolutely no writing whatsoever. Um, but I, I did manage to sort of crack a, a plot um, sort of hole um, in terms of what will happen in the next chapter of what I'm currently writing. Um, and so for me, although that you know, although that was, you know, it was a day of zero word count, um, it, it felt like a relatively productive, positive, um, positive day. And I think in a way, sometimes that's the strange thing about writing. You know, I think because at least I feel like my characters and the plot become a bit of an obsession, um, they, they tend to be something that I'm thinking about all the time, um, even if I'm not necessarily writing you know just just for example going for a walk um and listening to some music and sort of turning the story around it's almost like a sort of like worry stone or um a stress ball sometimes those are the moments when your brain is almost doing something else that I feel you do make these small strange breakthroughs uh so so yeah I, I try not to define it too much by word count um otherwise I think I'd, I'd probably too often be incredibly disappointed in myself <laughs> well how did that t- talk me through more of how that happened yesterday so what are you doing to kind of make figure out these plot points you, you can't just be sitting there you know with a thoughtful tooth stroking a beard <laughs> you know with that kind of thing and 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 also try and discuss the moment where that realization happened that eureka of aha that this is what needs to happen yeah it, it's um it, it's sort of strange to do in a way because i and, and you know i don't want to sound too sort of pretentious or, or obscure but i'm i'm not entirely sure how it does happen um I, what I would say is I, I spend quite a lot of time um, a kind of away from my desk, just thinking through um, the, the the sort of the, the plot um, and, and the plot of my second novel that I'm currently writing. Um, I'm you know, relatively far on with that now. Uh, and yeah, there, there was just a, I, you know, I, I, this is another novel where I'm, I'm pretty certain about how it will end, um, but I'm not entirely sure um about you know how all the characters will will get there and I, I think there was a sort of bit of a broken link at present you know in the plot and in my planning um 
And I think I was, I was really just kind of have been thinking about it, to, to be honest, for over the last few months. Um, you know, I, I often do, um, I think I mentioned, you know, running in the, in, in the mornings. I often will use that time as a sort of time just to think through um, what I'm writing and what will happen next. And, you know, just, just to sort of think about the characters not necessarily even in a very focused focused way you know it could, could just be a trigger of like a particular song or just mulling over what they would say in a particular um, instance and I think it's a weird accumulation of of that kind of low level thinking in a way you know when your mind is sort of half half focused on something and half consumed with the running or with doing something else entirely different you know, doing the laundry or unstacking the dishwasher sometimes I think things just click and it's, it's maybe a case that your um, your head's been mulling something over in, in the background um, and suddenly there's yeah the, the, it felt like I think yesterday when I was running there was just a bit of clarity as to how um, how to bring particular characters together um, in the in the sort of finale of um, of, the, of the book that I'm working on so, so that was a yeah it was a productive day despite a um, <laughs> despite a pretty uh, depressing word count. Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out for a chance to win the French Open title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV, live in HD. Don't miss a moment with daily live coverage and match replays on demand, beginning Monday, May 20th. Be there for all the unforgettable moments. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We'll be back with more from Abigail Dean in just a sec. Now, if you're enjoying the show, if you've learned any tips... Uh, in the past few years and almost 150 episodes now that has, has really helped the way that you work, that you write. If we've kind of changed the way that you tell your stories, uh, you can help us out for doing that. Just support us over at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Uh, by doing that, you help us carry on bringing you chats with the, the best authors around as often as we can. I think we've done pretty much every Friday for a year more or less. Now, maybe I took some time off over Christmas and New Year. Anyway, it's pretty much every Friday you hear from one of the most successful authors around. Now, by pledging to us over on the Patreon, you get a little bit of merch. Uh, you get our undying thanks. You also get a chance for your book to sponsor this show. Today, it's Faber Academy. Tomorrow, it could be yours. 
and the book that you wrote during lockdown. To see how that can happen, uh, head to patreon.com forward slash writers routine and pledge whatever you can. Anything helps. It goes a long way over at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Right, let's get back to it then with Abigail Dean talking about her instant Sunday Times best-selling debut, Gurley. In this part of the chat, we talk about what she does to get going at the start of the day, also about working with an editor and how that process was. Uh, and we pick things up with the strange working life of an author that's uh, focused on two projects. We've spoken about this in the past and it never, it never ceases to baffle me. Uh, you've started book two, you finished book one a year or so ago, but that one is now blowing up. You're doing loads of interviews for it. You've got to focus it. You've got to edit it. How do you crack on with that and plan your year accordingly? So I've been working. Um, I've been working on this second novel for just um, just over a year now. Um, kind of probably about fourteen months. And some of that time as well has been um, interspersed with editing Girl A, um, which, which is sort of quite all-consuming, I guess, um, in, in a way. I think when edits come back, you know, they, they sort of pull your attention away from whatever you're writing um, to, to sort of return to, to, to Girl A. Um, so, yeah, for me, it's, um, I've been working about 14 months and I have another few months to go. Um, so yeah, I guess in all it'll probably be about um, you know close to two years, you know, a year and a half or so. Um, which is strange because I think Girl A um, was written in a year, um, at least the first draft. But during that time, I had the kind of absolute luxury and um, the privilege, really, to, to take off three months um, between jobs. So obviously, the the routine of having a three month um, period with nothing to do but to write felt very different from um, from sort of balancing writing with with work. And it's been a case, I think, of trying to sort of um, trying to carve out time in a way, you know, through other means, you know, through taking vacation time and through kind of working at weekends. Um, it's been the kind of very strange um, positive to to COVID, I think. If, if for me, as, you know, as a writer, there has been more time um, and it might have been very troubled time and it might have been pretty kind of murky, slightly low level worry time. Um, but it has been in pure sense of hours there has been more of it um and that I think has helped with with writing my second novel so with your with the day job then are you kind of doing your day job and then writing in the evening more or less every day yeah I um I I guess really it depends completely on um on the day at work so there, there are days when, you know, it's been a relatively quiet day at work. You know, you might be finishing sort of at 5 or 6 p.m. And then it feels like writing is a real kind of possibility. You know, it's something that you're kind of looking forward to um, at the end of the day. To be completely honest, there are some days, you know, where it's been a really tough day at work. And, you know, it, you're finishing at 8 or 9 p.m. and you've been in negotiations all day. And the thought of kind of having to turn um, your, your mind to anything else other than like, 
you know, watching Selling Sunset on Netflix is just unbearable. So for me, it really is um, taking things on a sort of day by day um, basis, um, very much dependent on on how the work day ha- has gone and um, and sort of what what's left of you at the end of it. I think. Um... So for the debut, for Gurley, uh, talk us through the moment, the very first moment that the idea for this story came into your head. Uh, what was that, the light bulb moment? How did it present itself? It was a bit of a light bulb moment. Um, I, I still kind of remember relatively um, vividly sort of going to bed one night. And I often find this is kind of a, it's both a, a blessing and a curse, I guess. When we were talking earlier about the, you know, the sort of low level thought um, process where, you know, you potentially get, you get some epiphanies or, you know, work out some problems in writing. I often find that is just as you're going to sleep, um, which is not conducive whatsoever for having a, a good night's sleep. And I had been thinking for a very long time about sibling relationships. Um, And uh, I had also been thinking for a very long time about true crime and about the aftermath of, um, you know, of what happens when these headlines get recycled, you know, what happens in the days and the months and then the years that follow. Um, and I think those ideas sort of melded together um, slightly, and I realised that there was a way to write about um, about both of them, to sort of write about the tenderness and the chemistry and the dynamics of of a big family um, and siblings, whilst um, also kind of exploring that idea of, of of true crime and how it affects different people um, as they live the rest of their lives. Very quickly, were you were you looking for a story to write about? Were you looking for something to to have a go at a full novel for, uh, because you wanted to be a writer, or or were these things just coming around your head and you thought the only way you could iron them out and make sense of them is by telling a story? I, you know, I'm not entirely sure. Um, it is the honest answer. I I was definitely thinking um, about trying to write something more substantive than the sort of short stories and uh, in character sketches that I'd written um, during my twenties. Um, you know, it was, it was a time that I was not particularly happy at work. Um, I was kind of pretty bone tired. Um, but at the same time, I think that it was the case that I, I thought of this story and had this kind of plan. And I think that then enabled me to justify taking um, taking some time off work to actually focus on it. Um, so in terms of a chicken, chicken or egg, I'm not entirely sure quite which, um, which did happen first. It isn't particularly kind of clear to me looking back, actually. Talking about the, the the planning of it then, so when you've got that initial idea, when these things are floating around your head, you then need to get a full-on, well, a, a plot. There needs to be a story here for you to tell. Um, what happens next? When, when you've got that initial idea, what do you do before you start writing it? I like to have a very um, a very vague plan. Um, and the, the way that I do that, uh, to, be, to be really kind of specific, is... In a document form, I will just set out maybe two or three pages of what um, I think will happen 
um, almost in kind of bullet point, uh, very unromantic form. And then I essentially populate that plan um, with the novel. <laughs> so I guess from, from a kind of a parent's point of view, what my, um, what my sort of master document looks like is, you know, halfway through a novel, it will be, um, you know, sort of a hundred pages of, um, of, of writing and, you know, of the actual words. And then below that, there will be the plan of, um, of what is still to come and what I've still got to write. And I find that what I can do by working in that kind of format is if I have an idea when writing one scene about something that needs to happen in a future scene, um, I can just scroll down and make a note um, in the plan that, that sort of sits at the bottom. Uh, so by the time I get to that point in the story, um, I will have the sort of trigger or the reminder or the breadcrumb that needs to be added to, to that particular scene. Um, so that's exactly how it looks um, on my Google Docs file. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, sp you spoke about your characters sometimes doing their own thing and writing the story themselves is how you put it earlier on. With, your, uh, with the Google Doc, with your plan, how m much did you stick to that? How much did your characters take it in a different direction as you got to know them hundreds of pages in? I think I stuck to it pretty, pretty loyally. Um, it is such a kind of minimal plan um, in some ways that I think it really is sort of this, the skeleton of, of the plot um, with, with relatively little in a way um, in terms of, you know, the sort of details and nuances of the characters that I think come out as you get to know them better. Um, so in terms of it being a very rough structure, um, I, I stuck to it quite kind of quite faithfully. I, I think one thing that's strange is obviously, you know, the, the plan actually gets more detailed as you as you write more, because I think then you get kind of, you know, you kind of get to know the characters more, you know, the, the plot kind of starts to form in much more detail. And I think that's when you get the opportunity to add to the plan um, in terms of it might even be, you know, just a particular line of dialogue that this character would inevitably say at this future moment in time, you know, or it might be a particular um, element of the house in Girl A, you know, that I, that I wanted to record further down. So, so oddly, the, the plan, I think, becomes more fleshed out um, as the writing kind of continues. And, and then I think the hope, obviously, is that by the last you know, the last few thousand words, you, you, you kind of then are, um, are, are over the hill and uh, you kind of, yeah, that, that I guess it really is when in a way the characters are pretty known to you and, and the, the, the conclusion is kind of just waiting to be written. You, you hear some really interesting exercises around this, right? You know, I've, I've heard about kind of particular questions that you, know, you should be able to answer, um, you know, on your character's behalf. And I, I actually don't do anything like that. Um, I, I just spend a lot of time thinking about them, which is probably a much um, much less glamorous or clever way of um, uh, of doing it. But yeah, but yeah, I think it's sort of a case that um, I just sort of spend quite a while dwelling on on them and on their relationships with each other. Um, as we said before, in that dead time, um, you know, which is not necessarily writing time. Um, I, I also do dedicate sort of a lot of time just to just to kind of thinking about them and letting them develop into these little obsessions that, that they become. Earlier, you mentioned 
when you need inspiration, you will read uh, uh, other people's works, stuff like The Road, Cormac McCarthy. Now, Girl A is a, a very tense book at, at points. Um, how much are you thinking about the words that you are writing on the page to um, to convey the atmosphere and the mood? I, I, I mean, are you are you you know waiting for the exact right words, or are you happy to pick that up later? I tend to try to write the exact word um, at at the time. I, I don't think it's the most productive way of writing necessarily. Um, but know that I'm definitely somebody who is sometimes guilty of, you know, sitting there for 15 minutes trying to <laughs> trying to think, what's that specific word that, that you know <laughs> that, that should be used in this in this sentence? Um, I am slightly guilty of that, I think. Um, and I, yeah, I, I think I've I've read since quite a bit of writing advice about you know get, getting a kind of um, a rough draft down and then you can refine things. But I find um, editing to some degree as I go is quite irresistible. <laughs> I, I find anyway. Um, so so no, I, I often do kind of return to the paragraph before and, um, and faff around for, for, for a while before moving on. If you're editing as you go, how, how much easier does that make the final edit? I think you were edited by, uh, was it Phoebe Morgan? It was, yeah. Yes. Um, so she's an author in her own right, isn't she? She's, she was like one of the first guests on this show, which is very kind of her. So how how easy did you make her life, I guess, because she'd been editing as you went? <laughs> Um, it was, it's, I, I guess I had edited a, you know, a lot myself as I went. And, th- but then that said, the editing process in total was still, oh, kind of seven or eight months, um, as a whole. So, so I, I actually edited with my agent, uh, Juliet Mushins for three months, um, before we sent Girl A to publishers. So I guess it was a case that I edited um then then uh, I edited with Juliet and then we sent the novel to you know to various publishers and and uh, amazing Phoebe became my um became my editor and I edited them with Phoebe for a further um a further four months so uh, yeah I think that that probably puts into perspective you know the, the number of times um the words were picked over even though I'd spent sort of like a year a year faffing with them already um so yeah whether it helped or not I'm not sure um but I'll never know <laughs> when you're you're editing for, for quite a substantial portion of time is it the same things that people are, are coming back and saying you need to change or you know, you kind of constantly fixing almost a sinking ship, if you know what I mean. Like you're you're fixing one problem and then they spot another problem. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I um I think that with Girl A certainly there were there were kind of common themes that we were like constantly refining. Um so I think things that, you know, if I look back um at my very first draft, you know, they were kind of major weak you know, major weaknesses. And then it felt like sort of um Juliet kind of, you know, patched them up very, very well. And then I think Phoebe, you know, still identified certain holes and we had to kind of you know, refine um, refine those edits further. So I did find that there were things in common um, that I think you improve, but that it takes kind of really relentless attention to 
to really get right. Um, whether that will be the case with um, with my next novel, I, I'm not sure. But, but but I certainly saw a pattern in the edits. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think often it is you know similar weaknesses that 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 sort of um, you know that the editors pick up on, um, and, and that you just have to sort of yeah keep. Uh, keep working on and and keep kind of changing those paragraphs because the, the cumulative effect is is great even if at the time it feels um it, it feels slightly redundant and and lastly i mean girl a is an instant sunday times bestseller it's it's so many people are talking about it and it, i'm sure it will sell extraordinarily well as a writer do you remember the moment where you 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 realize that oh hang on that debut book that I've been dreaming of being massive, that might actually happen. Can you, can you feel the buzz around a story? I, it's, it's, a, it's strange because I'm still not sure I've entirely accepted that this is happening. Um, but, but I think that there are moments as you go along and you, that there are so many kind of hurdles, I think it feels like, uh, towards publication. Um, but I think that the first, um, the sort of first realization I, I had around that this actually could happen, you know, that this could get published, which was already way beyond my wildest dreams. I think my wildest dreams were like to finish the novel um, and for like maybe a few family and friends to read it. That was kind of that was the already dream territory. Um, I think that when I sent the novel out to agents um, and quite a few of them were interested. Um, at an early stage, that was when I thought, you know, th- this is now kind of outside of the realm of my family and friends who might feel some kind of a personal obligation to, to say it's not awful. <laughs> um, I think having that kind of objective, um, uh, objective and sort of multiple um, kind of confirmations that this is a story that they, the agents have loved and have you know kind of want to represent I think those were the moments when I started to think this this could happen you know it's it's still a long path it's still kind of um away from getting into publishers hands but that was yeah I think that was where I realized that it wasn't it was no longer a, a complete pipe dream and that is it for this week's Writer's Routine. Thank you so much to Abigail Dean for telling us all about the blistering girl You can grab a copy with the link in the episode notes uh, and over at writersroutine.com as well. Now, this week's episode of the show is supported by Faber Academy. Remember, you can get a 10% discount on any online course or manuscript assessment right the way through until September. You've got a little bit of time to make the most out of this. Uh, Use the code WRITERSROUTINE21 when checking out over on their website. Uh, Head there now. Go do it. Have a look through the thorough catalogue that they've got. See everything that's on offer. See what they've got online that could help you out. uh, And then just pick one. Pick what you fancy. FaberAcademy.co.uk. Use the code WRITERSROUTINE21 and save yourself 10%. Now, next week, uh, we're chatting to Shane Dunphy, uh, who used his experience as a child protection officer to write fantastic books. And he's got a new audiobook series out as well. It's a brilliant chat. You can hear all about it next week on Writer's Routine. I will see you then. Bye. (laughs) 
Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage of the French Open begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.